Father, thank you for the presence of the Lord amongst us today, as you have been all our lives. Thank you, Lord, constantly you've given us an awareness, a consciousness of your presence. And I thank you that all of that is possible because of the Holy Spirit that you've given us, the great salvation that we have in Christ. You've said, where can I go from your spirit? Well, that's what the psalmist said. If we go to the far side of the sea. Doesn't matter where, but we've all found this to be true because you're in us and you're also wherever we go. I thank you that we have the Spirit of the Lord because we have the love of the Father and we've received the grace of our Lord Jesus, a wonderful salvation. We give praise to God. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. Open every heart, open every eye to see, put the spirit of understanding, that which was upon the Christ, put it today afresh upon every believer, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, please be seated. I, um, it's Neil Fisher's 60th birthday today. And as you know, um, Neil has fought a battle these last few years with illness and um, pretty serious. And I don't, I don't want him succumbing to that. I want that to go the other way. Unbeknown to you, possibly, is a lot of that has to do with battle that's in the spirit realm. Biblically speaking, Neil is a minister of Christ. The Bible says that government and authority, you know, civil government is the minister of Christ. It's appointed to do a job. That's whether they're believers or unbelievers or anything in between. And, um, and battles go on over that. You know, there's a political spirit as well as a religious one. So there are high level battles that go on. And just as jealousy and accusation and the like affects Christian ministries and ministers and Christian families, same thing is true in the political arena. Same thing is true in sport. There's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff goes on. And uh, so I, I remind you of the need to pray for Neil. Turn that sickness around. We have a little prayer for him now. Seeing it's his birthday, we might as well bless him. And uh, let's believe for that illness to clean up and for all the jealousy that's against him and whatnot. Neil does a great deal more for this city and has done for years. Um, doesn't matter who's mayor or not mayor, Neil contributes in a way. He's, he's gifted and graced in a way that's quite unique. He's, he's gift of God to this city. He's deputy mayor at the moment, um, but uh, carried huge responsibility. Let us believe for his well-being. You would not like some of the alternatives that were in place if he wasn't there. Let's just humble our hearts quietly before the Lord. Father, I thank you that you that we have seen on so many occasions wonderful miracles. We prayed you've healed even people we did not know. And thank you too for that word in Exodus that says, I'll put upon you none of these diseases. Well, we would take a hold of that word today. You've said the prayer often in faith will restore the one who's sick. And if they've committed any sins, the Lord will forgive them. Thank you that Christ himself bore our infirmities in his own body on the cross. I thank you for the faith that is in the Fisher family over generations. And today we ask for Neil that you would cleanse him, you'd forgive his sins, you'd clarify all kinds of things in, the, in his spirit, you'd heal him in the body, grant him a fresh vigor and energy and freshness of mind and of heart. We bless him today, Lord, add, add the strength of Christ to Neil Fisher. And in Jesus' name, I cut off jealousy, cut off claims upon him, claims upon the city. We cast off every unrighteous claim. and We bless Neil Fisher. Lord, we, we ask for his deliverance and his healing and full restoration to strength. And now may, may the Spirit of the Lord arise in him and give him a fresh vision 
of Christ and of the grace of God, the love of God. We bless now. We bless his family. We bless Cherie. We bless the children and all the extended family in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Anyway, keep believing for him and also for Tricia Roos up in Mariba. And by the way, um, anytime we send out teams, we want someone to go if we can. We won't always be able to do that. But Lloyd is planning to go two or three times a year. He's got a, a trip coming up. It's very short notice. Nobody may, may be able to go, but he's leaving on Sunday, 3rd of September. So it's not August, but the very next month, two weeks to Tanzania or Tanzania. However, people say it different ways, even in Africa, Tanzania and Uganda. Just mentioning it. So dear friends, last Sunday, we spoke, I began to speak anyway, about the Holy Spirit as a person. We didn't have very long and and uh, the powers that be were keen for me to come back and just talk a bit more about the subject. Well, why not? Um, Jacinda, who is not able to help Philip, is certainly able to help me. I, I just have ways of getting lovely results. So Jacinda, Acts 8 and 29, show you a few quick scriptures from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Take a look at that one. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. You know, that's the story of Philip had been in Samaria and, and an angel turned up and said, okay, take this road. He gets down the road. Is this chariot come along? Ah, but now the Holy Spirit spoke. This kind of thing happens to us all. Where, where would you be without the Holy Spirit? Where would you be without Jesus? Anyway, here's another one, Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Why is this an important comment? Because they just had such a terrible time with Saul persecuting the church and dragging off believers. Ah, oh, it was all over. Saul got converted. So, peace at last. But look at this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit had multiplied. See, there's, there's something that was in their hearts toward the Lord, and there's something that Lord put into their hearts by the one who lived in them. So we walk in the fear of the Lord, and guess what? His presence multiplies to us all kinds of grace. In this case, comfort. Where would you be without the comfort of the Lord on all those times you needed? Here's Acts 13, 2 to 4. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is in Antioch, by the way, a whole bunch of leaders were doing this, and Saul was amongst them. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they set off on the first of Paul's great missionary journeys. But look at the place of the Holy Spirit here. Talking to them, instruction, guidance. Gets even more interesting. Chapters later, Somewhere in all these missionary journeys, here comes, this is an interesting bit here, Acts 16, 6 to 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, look at this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. Called the Spirit of Jesus here, but it's just an alternative expression. Well, here's very interesting. Here's the Holy Spirit within saying, oh, don't go there. Oh, no, no, not there. Why? Well, he'd reserve that for others. Don't worry. The gospel went all through those areas. And later on, when Peter wrote his epistle, that's the very area he was writing to. No, the Lord had plans. Others will do that. I've got something else for you. Look what happens. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Ah, now, this, is, this gets very interesting when you know the facts. By the way, Troas was 23 kilometers south they had to go south, further south than where the old city of Troy was. Remember the story of Troy? And um, so the city of Troy long destroyed, but 23 kilometers south of that was this harbor, wonderful harbor called Troas. Now, guess how far that, now they walked. This, this is what's hidden here. It says, passing by Mysia they, Mysia, they went down to Troas. They walked. Do you know how far it was? It was exactly the same distance, give or take 10K, of Rockhampton to Brisbane. Who'd like to start today? Would you be there by next Sunday? 
You'd have to eat a lot of hamburgers along the way, I imagine. <laughs> what did they have? No fast food. <laughs> Relying on something. You're restricted to what you can carry. You're on foot. No backpack had no no fancy walking shoes had been designed. No great backpacks. Anyway, you're relying totally on the Lord. So they do this long, long, long walk because the Lord's saying, "Not here. Don't preach here. You get down there." And when they arrive, look what happens next, verse nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." Macedonia is in Europe. They're in Asia. This is an entirely different continent, but from Troas, it's a short journey on a boat right across the water there. Come on over, he's saying. So they jumped on a boat and across they went, taking the gospel into an entirely new part of the world. Now, the whole point of showing you this He says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. The point of these few scriptures is to say that it doesn't matter whether it's your life at home, whether it's the advance of the gospel, whether it's our interactions with one another, whether it's, uh, you know, solving problems or obtaining victories, there isn't any turn of the way that you don't need the Holy Spirit and fortunately have been given the Holy Spirit. Here's one more, Uh, Acts 20. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Who's speaking? This is Paul talking. He's talking to the elders from Ephesus who have come and met him on the beach at Miletus because he didn't have time to go into Ephesus. He called them out. He makes this really interesting and graphic speech on the beach to them. And this is just a little part of it. He says, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. In other words, urged by the Spirit. This, this is the heart of God. But it's not, but it's, but there's little heaviness in this. You know, little, this, this is demanding. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't even want to do the will of God. With the Holy Spirit, you have all kinds of strength and courage. You've got resilience and besides which, focus. You've got understanding. You know your purpose and you're willing to do it. And even though Paul had to go through these years of imprisonments and ultimately martyrdom, well, actually, he was was let out from that one and then, you know, rounded up, arrested again. There was a whole process went on. As a result... He took the gospel all kinds of places. He preached the gospel all the way through to Nero's palace, stood before Nero preached the gospel. Heaps of officials got saved along the way and heard the gospel. We have letters that have gone out that 2,000 years later, we're still reading the letters from Paul that he wrote in that period while in prison. It's astounding the impact of his life, but only because the Holy Spirit constrained him and at some point said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Because he says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Why was he able to feel this way? Because he had a decent dose of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just that he had Bible knowledge. It wasn't just that, you know, he, he knew the Lord. He had a good, full dose of gospel power in him given by a person living within. He said, do not account my life any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You too will do more. You'll have more courage. You'll have more resilience. You'll have better health too, more strength. You'll have more purpose. Your your days will be more fruitful. If only you have more of the Holy Spirit. For this, of course, the heart surrenders, hungers, cries out to God. Look, I said last week, both in the Hebrew language and in the Greek, the word that is translated spirit can also be translated as wind and uh, as breath. So you could, you could, you know, you could translate it, write the breath of God, or, you know, and... um, 
you could you could you could you could assume that it was simply power or one way in which God expressed himself until you come especially to all the things that are written in the New Testament and over and above them all the extensive words of Jesus that make it very very clear the Holy Spirit is a person Jesus says I'm going to the Father and it's for your sake that I'm going because if I go the Holy Spirit will come in other words, if Jesus remained in a human body and you get to talk to him one at a time, you could not be filled with the presence of God every last one of you and be able to talk to Jesus all day, every day. Something was, the, tr the truth is, I mean, Jesus said it, otherwise you probably wouldn't have believed it. He said, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And I was talking to the Lord one day and praying, thinking about the idea of community. Because you think about the Holy Trinity. You know, I've often said if God was only one person, he wouldn't be holy. It is not possible, by definition, it is not possible for God to be one person and to be a holy God. It's not possible for God to be two people and to be a holy God. It is only possible if God is at least three persons for him to be holy. God is holy, it also says God is love, it is not possible for God to live in holy community and just be one person. In eternity past, there were no angels, there were no people, and yet God lived in holiness, which is God is love. You can't just love yourself and assume that you're perfect. Two people captivated with each other can't just assume they're perfect people when they've never been tested and tried by outside forces. It's only once you have three people. So what I heard the Lord say is the minimum number required for community is three with one person absent, one person off on a mission. Three people minimum required for God to be able to say God is love. But you can have more. And that's where the body of Christ comes in. The Bible, you know, with, what, with respect to what the Lord's building with the church... We have all different ways of, of attempting to describe the church. We call it the body of Christ. It's one of the very more important ways. We speak of it as the bride of Christ. In the end, these are illustrations helping us to understand what it is that God is putting together in which he is the temple that we live in and we are the temple that he lives in. Scripture says that we, we do not know what we will be but we do know that when we see him, we will be like him. No wonder scripture says in another place, eye is not seen, is not heard, neither is it entered into the heart of man even to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. This is why the scripture says, you're made higher than the angels. Although for a little while, just a little while, lower than the angels. Because you're in the flesh, helped by angels. But the destiny, the purpose of God in finding a redeemed people is a fallen race. The old hymn talks about Adam's helpless race. We are helpless, absolutely helpless. Christ redeemed us and from amongst the race. He chooses those whose, whose hearts are towards him, those who will love, those who will obey the command to believe Believe in the one who sent and love the brethren, as he said. These he can redeem. But it's no ordinary salvation. It's not just to a salvation where you're going to have a bit better life. Wouldn't that be nice? If oh, there'd be no sickness and no crime and we'll all live happily ever after. You're not saved for that. You're not saved just for a bit better life. The sin's gone, problems are gone, and oh, we can all just live happily now. Get on with each other. It is not that kind of salvation. And this is why heaven can't be described. People have visions. People have, you know, visitations with the Lord. And they'll hear music and see butterflies and it's all very wonderful. But, but all the Lord is giving you are impressions of how good it is in terms you can understand. He can't really show you what it's like. And there's nowhere in the Bible that describes it. It's, it's salvation to another kind of life 
altogether higher than the angels. Well, guess what it is? You're being brought into the very life of God himself when you see him. No one, the scripture says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But where does this holiness come from? It comes from the fact that Christ forgives you your sins, washes away guilty conscience, the dead body of sin falls off, you're baptized, you're placed into Christ, and the Holy Spirit begins to work within you to transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus. That's very important. Being transformed into the image of Christ. No wonder scripture says, we don't know what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. And this is what you must want. This is your salvation. This is redemption. Now in the body, it's hard to see it. It's even hard to feel it. In fact, day by day, the body's getting older. But within, day by day, being renewed, one degree of faith to another, one degree of glory to another, from grace to grace, Bible says, from faith to faith, being renewed on the inside. God is doing a work, and you need the Holy Spirit. And the more of the Holy Spirit you get, the more you're going to be conformed to the will of God, the more power you'll have, the more sense you can make of everything. Anyway, he's a person a real person, comes and takes up resident in you. Jesus has gone to be with the Father. He's the head of the church. He's ruling from heaven above, but the Holy Spirit is here with us. He's in you. He's in me. He's amongst us all. And he has a task to do. And the first thing is he brings to us the reality of God the Father and God the Son. We know the Father because we have the Holy Spirit. We know the Son because we have the Holy Spirit. We know the sense of our sins forgiven because we have the Holy Spirit. Not only that, as you're praying, all of a sudden faith rises. You're enabled to believe God. Now, the scripture gives you lots of commands like that to believe, but it's actually the Holy Spirit that enables as you pray into it all, you know, or understanding something you can't quite figure out. Here's the Bible. Oh, but it captivates. You pray about it. All of a sudden you understand. It's the Holy Spirit. You all need more of the Spirit of grace. So as a real person living in us, first thing I found when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit was I was so filled with the love of God. That is the sense that I myself was so loved, so cherished. The reason I felt so loved was it was all of a sudden a whole lot more of a real person. I had the Holy Spirit before, but all of a sudden I had so much more of Him living in me, an actual person loving me. No wonder I felt more loved. And then one thing after another, began to come my way. One of the most astounding things is, and you can't explain this, but without a word being spoken, for months and months and months, it felt to me like he was day by day personally teaching me how to pray so that my prayers would always be answered. It's like he took me in hand. Personal tutoring. All this by the Holy Spirit. I've written a whole list of things here that that having a real person living within us and you know, he's not intrusive. It's not like he, it's not like he kind of, he doesn't take over, but somehow just supplies things we need, makes it easier for us. So he'll speak to us. He'll teach. He'll, he'll correct. He'll, when you, if you start to turn a wrong way, make a wrong choice, oh, you feel the check. He'll convict you when you've done wrong. Your guidance and information and warnings. Oh, and then assurance, you know, that no, you're going the right way. Affirmation, no, you're who you are. You're a child of God. All these good things, knowledge and wisdom and grace come. The, the interesting thing is this. You and I, if left to ourselves, say you pray the sinner's prayer and he forgives you your sins and he writes your name in heaven and you've got a Bible to read, but it's up to you. How would you be? You know, would you last a day without making a mess? No, no, you, you wouldn't do very well. But at the same time, you've become a believer. You're now a servant of God. Um, you're meant to live differently. How are you going to do this? The fact is it's not in you to be able to do it. You do not have the ability 
You don't have the strength, you don't have the courage, you don't have anything. But it just ha so happens he's given us the Holy Spirit to provide for us what we need. So in other words, here's a holy God who wants us to walk with Christ, become like Christ, really be molded into the life of God, become one with him, live transformed lives on earth, but we're not capable of it. We don't even understand it. So what God does, because he has these holy requirements and he, and he wants this fruit bearing from us, he puts within us part of himself, if you like, that lives that life through us. In other words, the Lord says, look, God the Father wants this. The Holy Spirit on the inside helps us do the thing. Uh, there's an interesting example in the Bible, and it's, it's in the story of Esther. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Esther, she had an uncle who helped her a great deal, and his name was Mordecai. Uh, go, read, go read the book again. So Mordecai is, is you know, he's, he's caring for his niece. He's giving her constant guidance and instruction about how to handle herself, how to handle herself in the royal courts, how to approach the king, how to respond to the king, uh, you know, what pleases the king. So Mordecai is giving her all this information that she needs so that when she interacts in the royal courts with other officials and with the king, she knows exactly what to do. Well, symbolically, Esther is you and Mordecai is the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. And um, so the story says that, you know, when Esther went into the presence of the king, she only took with her those things that she was advised to take, even though she was allowed by the rules to take things she felt like taking as well. She only took the things she advised. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he positions us with, with understanding to please God and uh, so on and so forth. So now, now if we go back to John 14 and read what Jesus said, some of this will make even more sense than before. So here's a few selected verses from John 14. You ready? Jesus says, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, pause on this word for a moment, helper. Because in the Greek language, the word is parakletos. And there's different ways to translate it, trying to get at what it means. And different translations will say different things. This one says helper. Somewhere else will say, you know, just say the paraclete. Somewhere else will say uh, the, the advocate of the father. You know, another translation will say a counselor. And these are just English words that get at some aspect of what this means. But if we put it in a sentence or a phrase, what this word means is that the person that Jesus called the parakletos is someone who is called alongside you to aid you. It's as simple as that. And the actual meaning of the word itself, of course, is several meanings. One is one who pleads another's cause before a judge. It's a pleader, a counsel for the defense, a legal assistant, an advocate. Um, or, or another version would be one who pleads another's cause as like, like an intercessor. And, um, and in the widest sense of the meaning, someone who is a, a helper, and an aide, someone who gives succor, someone who assists, and so on and so forth. So we go back to John 14 here. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So forever really implies here, and I think it's, it's obvious it must have this meaning, that not only is the Holy Spirit given to help you actually walk with Jesus and please the Father in this life, but ultimately on the other side of the day of redemption, when you are perfected and in grace and you're in the presence of the Lord and, and walk with God forever, you will be filled with power and grace and understanding and wisdom and divine life by being so fully in the Holy Spirit and you and the Spirit of God in you. It's like the, the completely finished package deal that you will be forever holy and totally pleasing to God. Now you should want this. And the more of this you have now, the better, because the Bible speaks of 
resurrection in that not everyone is resurrected into the same measure of glory and reward. It varies. And uh, we hear of in, in Hebrews 11, those who persevered in their trials and tribulations and, and willingly accepted suffering because they wanted a better resurrection. So, um, you know, some people are more fruitful than others. Some are more prayerful than others. Some are more hungry for God than others. Listen, it's not that he cuts people out of his will, not if he can help it, but what he does is he rewards love. He rewards faith. He rewards perseverance. He rewards hunger for God. And if you, if you are willing to serve him, walk with him all the more, your life laid down all the more, he rewards and rewards and rewards. But if you do it for the wrong reasons, you do it just to look good or something, you might find there's not so much reward uh, for that. You'll be saved, but not thanked if you're doing it just to look good in the eyes of others or the like. Anyway, he, he says a little more here. Uh, verse 17, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. Here's verse 20. In that day, in what day? In the day you receive the Holy Spirit. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Yeah, this is this wonderful assurance of salvation, sense of identity, sense of belonging, held by his love. And in all of that, you know the Father. And if you don't know him enough, ah, pray, you need to come all the more into the fullness of the Spirit of God. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. He does that by the Holy Spirit. Verse uh, 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice here, notice here Jesus says, in one place, I will ask the Father and he will give. And in this verse, he says, the Father will send in my name. But there's another place where Peter, actually on the day of Pentecost, stands up and preaches and says that the, the Christ whom you crucified, God's raised from the dead, and he's received the Holy Spirit from the Father. And it's Jesus who poured out this, what you see here. And you always get these, uh, these multiple views of how it works. Anyway, he says, uh, these things have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will, this is Jesus saying, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So uh, we jump to a couple of verses in John 16 and verse 5, Jesus says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is now saying, I'll send him. Father and the Son, always walking together. The Father does everything through the Son. Son does never, nothing that, that it doesn't come from the Father. It's all quite astounding. We jump a few verses, John 16, 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, there were things Jesus wanted to say, but at this point, he hasn't even gone to the cross. He couldn't say to them, and if he had said them, they, they couldn't bear it. They either couldn't understand it or would just, can't take that. What he's really saying is, the Holy Spirit's going to say these things to you afterwards. Uh, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare you to you the things that are to come. In other words, you're going to make sense of all things, past, present, and future, if you have enough of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know what the implication is there? All that the Father has, all that the Father has, Jesus says is mine and the Holy Spirit will take that and, and, and declare it to you. 
that's, that's big. You know, like that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big offer right there. No one in Scripture says another place, everything we need for life and for godliness is what? Is where? All, it's all available to us. According, by His precious promises, we have, it says, all we need. It's a good one to pray over, that one, whenever you have a need. Lord, you've said, we have it. I'm believing for it. And uh, all right, so two warnings before we kind of bring our subject to an end here. Paul, Paul gives us two warnings with respect to life in the Spirit, or if you like, church life. In the first of these warnings, which he wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, don't quench the Spirit. So now we're speaking to real Christians now, you're believers, you're in the church, you have the Holy Spirit, you have some, you might have much, you can all have more. But Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Another translation attempting modern English says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. In fact, Paul writing to Timothy said, stir up the flame that's in you. So don't quench the Spirit. Let's just read the, uh, the verses before and after what he said to get some idea of what life is meant to be like so that we don't quench the Spirit. So this is in 1 Thess- Thessalonians 5. Uh, begins with our attitude to leaders, but he says, verse 12, he says, We ask, brothers, you to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, in other words, respect the Word of God. Respect those who are trying to bring the Word of God to you and, and honor them and esteem them very highly in love because of their work, verse 13 says. And then be at peace amongst yourself. In other words, attitudes to leaders, uh, relationships with one another. This is the beginning ground of staying sweet in the Spirit. Then verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Idleness will quench the Spirit. Encourage the faint-hearted. Fear will quench the spirit. Help the weak. Well, you know, if you're, if you're weak in faith, weak in obedience, these, these are all ways of just, you know, squashing the work of the Holy Spirit within and within the church. Be patient with them all, though. Verse 15, see that no one repays evil for evil. Well, you know, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's a very important instruction. This give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then the very next thing he says is, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Lifestyle, the joy of the heart, constant thanksgiving, love of others, respect for the word of God, you know, honoring those who lead. These are all just, this is just what ought to be normal Christian life. Give yourself the best chance of being in the Holy Spirit. But then there's a bit more because there's another side to quenching the Spirit and that's the next verse. Do not despise prophecies. Well, it's very easy, especially in the materialistic world we live in, where there's plenty of money and comfort, to slip into a very naturalistic view of life and leave out the supernatural and um, be not at all spiritually minded and um, this is equivalent to despising prophecy, but, but still prophecy can be a mixture. So his advice here is you, you look at the prophecy and cling to what's good, but just somehow conveniently ignore the bits that are not good. And, um, ex- but then he goes on, abstain from every form of evil. And then he, he gives this remarkable benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. Okay, that was one warning. Don't quench the Spirit. But there's another warning which he writes to the Ephesians, and this was don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. So, um, you probably haven't got to think too hard about what might grieve the Lord. But it is possible to actually grieve the Spirit of God away. Think about the kinds of things you love instead of loving what the Lord would want you to love. I remember once what uh, 
starting to watch a movie, but within five minutes I thought, this is just vile, and I put it off. And the Lord told me what his view of it was. After, you know, after that, he said it was worthless. But there are some things that are worse than worthless. They'll sear your conscience. They'll, they'll give you a jaundiced view of the world. They'll, they'll, they'll break down your resistance to things that are unclean, so you think unclean things are normal. False loves. You know, love, love of evil. Uh, these are traps. These are dangers. But uh, you can grieve the Spirit of God. You can grieve the Spirit of God. if you. Do you know that if you despise other churches or some other pastor across town and you despise them, you know, holding judgments against people, being critical in judgment of people, speaking... Speaking, you know, criticism and condemnation, these are the kind of things that grieve the Spirit every time. We all can make a mistake and the Spirit will be grieved, but He, but he hasn't departed from you. He's just, just grieved a bit by it. And yet, yet He's offering you, you know, He's trying to point it out to you and you'll repent, oh, He's pleased. But if you keep choosing evil, you'll grieve and grieve the Spirit of God until um, you can get... You can get to a case like Samson, of which the Bible said he wist not. This is the old King James. In other words, he didn't have a clue. He wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. You don't want to get there. Now, of course, he got humbled. In the end, he prayed with this humble heart. Lord answered his prayer. He'd be saved by grace. You'll meet Samson, I'm sure. But still, think of the pain and the misery and the sudden nasty turn of events for Samson, all because he wished not the Spirit had departed. Don't, don't grieve the Spirit. So we read the context. Got to do this and then we'll have to quit. Here's the context for that statement. Ephesians 4.25, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth, the truth with his neighbor. If we are members of one another, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, if you, if you get angry over something and it's not real good, deal with it the same day. Don't sleep on it. Keep your heart clean and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So all laziness gone, grieve the spirit. So that he may have something to share that opens up your heart. 29, here's an important one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's, that's critical. I remember when, being in college years ago. It was 1974. I'd been bapt, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But, you know, overnight... Um, program was over by about nine o'clock and so sometimes you'd have supper with one or two other couples who were in the in the college I remember um, being at some of those suppers and uh, this there were two other couples that we regularly met but it I used to they would um, they were too want to criticize other people I couldn't handle that but see it was was grieving the spirit of God. I, I could not, I could not just, you know, keep mixing and, you know, chat around the table, cup of tea, bit of cake, you know, all that free talk, that, that kind of talk, it's, it's unclean, it is evil, and it just grieves the spirit. In other words, it's gossip and slander, it just grieves the spirit. And I had to withdraw myself from any, any sense of participating in it or, you know, believing what was said. So 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such is good for building up as fits the occasion. Verse 30, and see, this is the context, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Two more verses that follow straight on. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. And so, um, friends, Paul said to the Romans, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, meaning it's not, it's not a material kingdom. We can enjoy the things of this life, but it's not ultimately about that. He said the kingdom of God is righteousness. That's the top of the list, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Another day we should talk about this number one item, the kingdom of God is righteousness. It says of Jesus, you know, when God the Father said to the Son, your, your throne, O God, the Father called the Son of God, God. Imagine that. God the Father speaks to his Son and said, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Another day we look at the great importance of that righteousness that you can only receive by being in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit helping you. And so finally, this promise as we close from Luke 9, Jesus said, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. It's that little, that sentence right there. Everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Now you know what the immediate context was, don't you? He said, if you, if you being fleshly, if you being evil, you know, if you being fallen, now he had to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't wait for the seeking Sunday night. There's one a week away. Don't just wait for that. Just make, it, make this your daily prayer. Lord, I want more of you. I'm not hungry enough. Make me more hungry for God. Lord, would you give me the spirit of prayer? Start walking in the spirit of prayer. Open the scriptures. You know, day by day, take in some words. Let the words wash you. These are just simple means by which you walk in the Holy Spirit and add to all that your prayer. Lord, give me more of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, you're looking for a breakthrough to another level of power and anointing altogether. And guess what? It comes to those who seek. It always comes to those who seek God. Well, if the band would come, the musicians return, and in a moment they will lead us in a closing song, but I'll let them all take their places. And then you and I will pray some prayers together. I think the first thing is, if everyone present, just ask the Lord if he, if the Lord would forgive you if the way you've been living has grieved the Holy Spirit. Anything in your life grieves the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the time to give it up, repent of it. And it can be anything from foul attitudes through love of the wrong things in life all the way through to you know, laziness and indolence, or it could be anything that, that has just grieved the Spirit of God. In other words, made the Lord unhappy. And while you're at that, just ask the Lord if you've, if you've been quenching the Spirit to help you now, rather than kind of squash the work of the Spirit. No, cultivate your walk with the Lord. So here's, here's your opportunity. Have it, everyone, just bow your heads with me. We humble our hearts before the Lord. Just take a moment, everybody, just, just deal with your own heart and let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Seek cleansing, seek forgiveness. And Lord, I do thank you that forgiveness is for us all because Christ has died. Christ has risen too and, and rules above. I thank you that grace from God the Father and God the Son is brought to us. Thank you for the cleansing of the blood. Lord, if in anything as a church we have grieved the Spirit of God, we ask today you'd forgive. If, it, if in the way we do things we have been quenching 
unknowingly perhaps, the things you've tried to say and do, forgive us. I ask, Lord, you'd lift up the whole church, lift up every family in the church, lift up every believer in the church, young and old alike. I ask, Lord, you'd make every last believer here more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, to the, more sensitive to the touch of God, the leading of the Spirit, more sensitive to the things you say in the Holy Scriptures and more sensitive to the things you whisper into our hearts. Lord, would you grant grace by which every one of these believers is more discerning, more insightful. I I pray the gifts of God would flow. Lord, would you forgive, wash every heart, forgive every sin. Lord, in family homes, if there are things, whether things are there that ought not be there or whether there's things in their love and the things they love and in their consciousness and behavior that will not be the ask, Lord, this, this day that you would forgive. Bring these things to their understanding, that there be repentance and cleansing of every home, the washing of every heart. Lord, that your people might be all the more holy, for we have been sealed by the Lord for the day of redemption. Lord, I pray, let holiness be our watchword. Let righteousness be at work in us by the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, not only forgive your people, but empower them and lift them up and cleanse them and make them holy. And our prayer is that we would have more of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord, the more powerful presence of the Lord in every home, in each heart. And Lord, in this church, lift up this work, lift up this whole family this whole community, that we would truly be a people holy unto the Lord, a holy community filled with the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Everyone present now, receive the Holy Spirit. Reach out to God. Just say, Lord, give me more of the Holy Spirit and take a place of faith. Say, Lord, I receive your Spirit. The washing of the water of the Word and the coming in of the power of the Spirit of God might be granted to every one of you for Jesus' sake, for His name's sake, for the sake of His people, for the love of the Father. Lord, we thank You. And now may grace and peace and mercy from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ rest upon you all with all power, with all divine purpose. And may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit fill your homes, fill your families, fill all the church. Lord, we receive these graces and I place them upon your people in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen.